Good morning. You are so blessed with music. I am completely undone. Just a tremendous gift, and I hope that you cherish that. I need to give you a couple of disclaimers this morning. First of all, I usually talk a lot, and I haven't had as many opportunities to do that recently. So when you get to that, where the heck is she going moment, please hang in with me. I will try to finish. Oh, that's how it counts down. The clock has me totally thrown off here. Secondly, I decided I needed to be at the lectern because when I'm on free roam, the sermon kind of goes that way too. So I'm hoping that this all keeps us anchored. So far this morning, I've spilled my coffee and dropped the Bible, so I can't necessarily protect you from complete catastrophe any minute here. I come with all of my books. And finally, I realized as I was getting ready for this, most of my cultural references and sermon illustrations uh, were 40 to 50 years old. But I'm old, so there you go. That's what you get. So going from there, long before Clint Eastwood was an Oscar-winning actor and director, he was just a cowboy on TV. Then he did a whole series of Italian cowboy movies. And then he became Harry Callahan, a rogue police officer, in San, police officer in San Francisco. He was Bosch before Bosch was Bosch. I remember going to see Dirty Harry on a New Year's Eve with the Rossos when I was in high school. And long before people had catchphrases, this was one of his. As he's pointing his infamous magnum at some criminal, he says, you have got to ask yourself a question. Do you feel lucky? Well, do ya, punk? There are a lot of times as I look back that I wish I'd been a little more aggressive in my pre-baptismal counseling. <laughs> I'm not sure that Dirty Harry's attitude would have really worked very well. But I spent way too much time trying to make people feel comfortable. Um, you know, if the question begins, do you, the response is I do, and kind of glossing over so much of what is in those questions. Now, I was going to have you turn to your hymnals, but you don't have hymnals in here, do you? Oh, they, there are some. If you can find a hymnal, you darn technologically sophisticated church, <laughs> if you can find a hymnal, please turn to pages 33 and 39 in the front, which is where, among other things, the baptism liturgy is there. When I would meet with people, I would try to talk with them about all the understandings of baptism they would bring to that moment, and we are shaped culturally by a lot of those. 
And because I didn't always push a little bit on those questions that make us somewhat distinctive, I kind of felt like I was missing the boat. If you go out to buy a car, you can bet that salesman's going to tell you everything that is good and unique about that car. And I never, well, no, I didn't always give them the full bore presentation on why we are just the best darn Protestant denomination there is out there. I hope you agree with me when I'm done with this. So people would bring me all sorts of expectations around baptism. And I have to confess, I hope this doesn't happen to you, Sylvester, but as I came closer to retirement, I would just get really cranky sometimes. <laughs> so when two young women, sisters, who had both just had babies, came to me for baptism and said, oh, Grandpa used to go to this church, and wouldn't it be wonderful if we did a baptism here? I'm like, Baptism is not some sentimental, you know, you don't have a baptism in cake and pictures and call it a day. That's not what we do. Uh, my crankiness was not well received by the congregation <laughs> and certainly not by this family, but enough already. I was going to take a stand. More often, people come to baptism having been formed in some way by a more Catholic understanding of baptism, that baptism is a mark that saves you from hell. Now, the Catholic Church is always changing in its practice of ministry. I know that's not their genuine reputation, but in these decades, they change. When my daughter was born, my then mother-in-law and sister-in-law were going to care for her for just a couple hours while we went out. That was a really strong Catholic family. And Anne, my sister-in-law, looked at me with a little twinkle in her eye, and I said, don't you take her to the cathedral. <laughs> and she said, well, we'll just use the kitchen sink. <laughs> that, because my daughter, being a good little Methodist girl, was baptized at about three months. Now, Methodists believe in infant baptism, but kind of for a different reason. I always would try to explain infant baptism in confirmation classes. It's kind of like a vaccination of God's grace. Now, vaccination's a bad word these days, but like measles, mumps, rubella, <laughs> all those vaccinations that we do when they're little. It puts our little ones in a position of receiving all of God's attention and love and grace. Well, who doesn't want that for their little person? People also would come to me really anxious about making a confession of faith because their understanding of baptism was that it was kind of all on them to make the right confession to claim the right claim, that can be a little challenging for folks because baptism isn't really about what we do. Ultimately, it's about what God does. 
Now, my daughter had another baptismal challenge in her social life in that a lot of her friends as freshmen in high school were part of, well, we'll just call it a very big, splashy, impressive church in the northwestern suburbs of Chicago. I'm sure if I dropped the name, you would have heard a lot about it. They even had their own lake for baptisms. They did not mess around. No swimming pool in the sanctuary. They had their own lake. So with every other form of high school peer pressure, here she is being <clears throat> encouraged by her friends to be baptized. She said, we don't believe in double dipping in my family. <laughs> I'm good, she said. I'm good. It's not really that Methodists don't believe in anything. We believe in people making, and you'll see, if you were lucky enough to have a hymnal, you'll see that part of those initial three questions is, do you believe in Jesus Christ. But, but, take note of the first two questions. Oh, that's why I brought this up here. On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness and the evil powers of this world and repent of your sin? We cannot turn to God unless we turn away. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? Aren't those people lucky that I gave them a break? Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior? This is the jackpot question. Put your whole trust in his grace and promise to serve him as your Lord. Here's the Methodist part. In union with the church, which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races. I love the way those are set up. But, you know. That's me. <laughs> a lot of times when we come to the gospel accounts of Jesus' baptism, we get caught up in, so who saw that dove? Did everybody see that dove? Did just Jesus see that dove? And I've preached that in a dozen different ways, just as I'm sure you have. The gospel writers, John's off doing his own thing, but Matthew and Mark, Matthew of course, being the legal uh, Old Testament guy, this is done to fulfill all righteousness. Mark hardly gives us a setup at all, because Mark is all about, go there, do this, go there, do this, and that's kind of how this story goes. Luke, because Luke is, the way Luke sets this up, there is room in the gospel account for us to think about those first two questions. Injustice, oppression, the forces of wickedness. What is going on in the world? Because 
John and the people gathered have this whole conversation. He is talking to people about sharing their coats, about feeding the hungry. He even talks to tax collectors and soldiers, which in my mind is a whole foreshadowing of all the wrong places Jesus went in his ministry. There is, of course, a little shadow of referring back to Elizabeth and Mary. Remember just a few weeks ago when it was all about Elizabeth and Mary, and we hear Mary sing this song of praise? Go back and read that at some point this afternoon. And then the voice, after everybody's been baptized, the voice says, this is my beloved. Now, I think everybody who was there heard that. Just because of the way, because Luke doesn't make any, you know, he doesn't set up the sentences in a way that leads us to conclude and then after he was baptized, the sky and he, you know what I mean? So I'm wondering huh, if after all of this preliminary counseling that John is doing with people who have come full of expectation, they don't all hear that piece of good news. People come to baptism with all sorts of expectations. And most of the time when we're doing it in the sanctuary, we're too nervous about what is the baby going to do or as, you know, is confirmation parents, oh, her skirt is so short. <laughs> I tried to put a tie on them and they would not wear a tie. We're full of all this distracting angst that can cause us to miss the point. Although I have to say, my favorite baptismal counseling sessions were with confirmation kids because we got to just really wallow in all of that and talk about it. So these folks see that they are being baptized into good news. As United Methodists, we are baptized into something. It is not just about keeping me out of sin or my confession as a believer, we are baptized into a community. You do realize, of course, although you may have selected godparents for your child or had godparents selected for you, it's the congregation <laughs> that is the godparent. People would come to me and say, oh, can we have a private baptism? Not unless you bring your own congregation with you. Because that's what's important in ministry, in the world. We're all in this together. In raising this child, my daughter worshipped in five different churches. Now, we would never do this in these days, but when she was a new infant, I'd go to pick her up after worship, and half the time she wasn't there because somebody had scooped her up and taken her to coffee. <laughs> she was everybody's little, little darling. We did youth ministry in different places, and that's where she got the double-dipped line. 
We will surround these persons with a community of love and forgiveness that they may grow in their trust of God and be found faithful in their service of others. So let's get back to that turning away and that resisting. <laughs> you cannot change a habit that you're unaware of. You cannot resist something that you don't want to look at. I don't know what your experience is, but I've had adult Bible studies where we do not want to talk about sin. One that was most memorable was within about 10 minutes we'd introduced the concept of sin and we'd gotten to Hitler. Like, well, that's pretty extreme. How in, in the world we live in, how do we begin to understand what evil is? When I flip on the news first thing on a Sunday morning in DeKalb, we listen to Chicago stations. If it is not a COVID statistics report, it is a report on the number of shootings and murders and deaths that have occurred in the city of Chicago. Now sometimes, it's a couple of gangbangers who are settling a score, and that's what happened at Oak Brook Center in Oak Brook in front of Nordstrom's on the Thursday night before Christmas. More often, it is a spray of gunfire. These guys may have a lot of guns, but they are terrible shots. And so there's a spray of gunfire, and a four-year-old sitting on her bed with her mama being read a story is shot and killed. A seven-year-old in the back seat of dad's car at McDonald's is shot and killed. Teenagers are shot and killed routinely. A young woman was killed uh, just the other day, she had already been shot once in her life in the head and had recovered and was shot and died. I heard a couple of interviews, one with a young man whose schoolmate had just been killed on just outside of the school. And he began to list for this reporter the kinds of people and the number of people he has already seen killed. My cousin, my neighbor, the guy across the street, my stepbrother. No wonder young black men in particular neighborhoods in Chicago are quite clear they are never going to live out of their teen years. And they probably won't. Now, the reason I bring this up is my understanding of evil is not that it is in some external personification of the Bible, I mean of the devil. Here's another old reference, Flip Wilson, <laughs> in The Devil Made Me Do It, or I can get a little more contemporary, Supernatural where Sam and Dean Winchester are out there fighting the devil, and when they're not fighting the devil, they're having beers with the archangel, and it was just a whole bunch of, you know, hot guys and special effects. Check with your 20-year-olds. I'm sure <laughs> they know exactly who those guys are. 
a theological approach to evil is evil is the ongoing fermentation of sin. These repeated, constant threats of violence. It may have been a sin in the first gun that was picked up, and then it just keeps going, and it corrodes hope, and it corrodes opportunity. And a four-year-old listened to a story is shot dead in her bed. We cannot resist things we are not willing to look at in all their horror. The career criminal who murdered the police sergeant in Bradley, I didn't research his story, but I'll bet you if we tracked his biography, we would find him coming out of a community fermented with violence. When you see the picture of him, you see the dead in his eyes. Now, I'm grateful for the fact that these baptismal vows do not tell us we need to conquer that. They tell us that we resist it. We resist. We resist in topics of evil, injustice, and oppression. This morning when I turned on the TV down here, I got the farm report. And so I thought for a little bit, well, maybe this is a bubble of normal life. And then the next commercial was for a Martin Luther King event in Peoria, bringing in Trayvon Martin's mother. Yeah, no. We live in the world. We know what happens in the world. And we can't ignore it, even when it bugs the daylights out of us and we don't know what to think and we hate it I hate it when my latent trying to recover from always got racism gets ugh, poked I hate it when that happens now sidebar my personal belief is we cannot have been raised in this culture in this society and not have been touched by racism at some level even if we have not ever burned a cross in somebody's yard, even if we don't use particular kinds of language, you know, if you throw a bunch of fish in bullet base, it's gonna come out pink. <laughs> we have been part of a culture where racism is, and so we got it. And the best we can do is say, I'm in recovery. <laughs> not just from overt language and behaviors, but from those subtle thoughts. And I'll lift one up to you. When the Black Lives Matter protests degenerated into violence and property damage, I had so many good Christians tell me, well, they can protest, but they can't destroy property. Well, <laughs> haven't we just in that moment elevated property above people?
we cannot be the fullest of what the Methodist Church calls us to be in our community of faith. As baptized and faithful Christians, we cannot be the fullest if we won't look. How do you know what you're turning away from if you won't look? But gratefully, God doesn't ask us to solve all the problems. Did you see the Rose Bowl? My personal commitment is to the classic Big Ten, not all these other schools, but the classic, um, I would practice naming them, Indiana, Purdue, Wisconsin, Northwestern, Illinois, Iowa, oh, I forgot the whole state of Michigan. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. You're along with me. I, I had practiced all of that. So even though I'm not a big fan of Ohio State, it's a Big Ten team, and the Big Ten did not do extremely well in bowl games. My new commitment to Michigan State, I married into a Michigan State family. They won. <laughs> Michigan didn't, but Michigan State won. The great story out of the Rose Bowl was when Utah was forced to go to its last string quarterback, Bryson Barnes. He had never thrown a pass in a game, and that young man stepped up and threw a touchdown. All God wants us to be is Bryson Barnes. When we've had our time on the bench and we have never had to make the big move and he calls us, be ready. Now here are the big moves. When we're in conversation with a neighbor and they say, well, they're free to protest, but they shouldn't destroy property. How about, I'm not sure I agree with you. Now, it gets really tricky these days because all you have to do is have an ember and everything explodes. But I really believe that we are called to find grace-filled ways of saying, uh, I don't think I agree with you. But I'm listening. I think you might be wrong about that. Now that's a word I would have used in 2019. Maybe you can't use that now. But have you thought about? Resistance is a slow and subtle game. When someone tells you what homeless people are like, you might share your own experience from a food pantry. Well, you know, hungry people are folks who just finished paying the rent and their bills and there's nothing left for groceries. Homeless people. I met a guy one time 
a journeyman carpenter who was on parole and who could not leave this limited geographic area where there was absolutely no work. So there he was. We cannot resist the things we don't know about. So we are called then to be informed, <laughs> to wrestle with our own demons, as uncomfortable as that is. I'm really working on understanding the recent criminal justice reform bill that passed in the state of Illinois. Because there are some holes in that that really make me mad. But it isn't all that way, so I need to understand that. We are baptized into something. We are baptized into relationship with somebody, the beloved. I have a wonderful colleague who decades ago said that every morning when he washes his face, he remembers his baptism and is glad. I invite you to adapt, adopt that practice. Remember whose we are so that we can remember who we are in the world. Go in peace, but not too much peace. <laughs> Go unsettled. Go courageous. Go distressed disturbed when you hear conversations that challenge you and let God be at work in each of us bringing us closer to the force in the world that he has called us to be. Boy, my seventh grade English teacher would have had a blast diagramming that sentence. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Let us go and be all of the people that God asks us to be. Amen.